Okay. All right. We're uh, we had just started talking about uh, about budgeting. Kind of, you know, up to that up to that point, we'd been talking a lot of um, principles, uh, things we see in scripture, uh, elements that reinforce uh, kind of solid. Uh, benchmarks or, or uh, uh, foundational elements that we need to know and understand in order to be able to proceed to talk about more in-depth financial kind of things or to, uh, to go, go to kind of the next level. Or we're kind of at that next level where we're getting into more practical elements of, um, uh, of financial discussion. And, you know, the... the uh, the time that we've got here is just going to kind of brush the surface, but I'm hoping that, that some of these things are creating uh, some thoughts for you, th some things to think about, things to work on, uh, items to talk to your wife about, and things of that nature. Uh, so we just started talking about, uh, about budgeting, and uh, I would, I'd propose that the, the process of budgeting imposes a financial discipline that will lead to better financial decisions. If you don't know where your money's going, how can you plan for where it should go? So budgeting is going to instill a financial discipline and help you make better financial decisions. Two questions that you should always ask in your spending habits. Do I need it? Can I afford it? Do I need it and can I afford it? Um, a, a way that you can begin if you've not been in the habit of keeping a, a budget or budgeting your, your, uh, your household finances, a good way to start is just charting your spending. If you've got uh, the ability, if you've got records to be able to chart your spending for the last three or four months, that's a way that you can begin charting your spending and categorize where you're spending your money in various categories. <clears throat> Utilities, car expenses, food, uh, housing, clothing, things of that nature. If, uh, if you don't have records that would allow you to look backwards and chart your spending, then start now, right, and start charting your spending on a very disciplined matter. Tomorrow happens to be the first of the month. What better time to start charting your, uh, your spending habits if you haven't been doing so? So chart your spending habits. See where your money's going. Joseph. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, from a security side, how do you agree with that? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to recommend Mint.com is the one that we use. Mint? Yeah, it's just Mint.com, and it is, it's free, all web-based, you can access it from anywhere that you have the internet, and they have an app for every phone. It is unbelievable, so. Now, now by free, does that mean you're giving their information freely as well? It's encrypted and stored on their servers. <laughs> <laughs> So the uh, uh, kind of the, the, the fundamental thing that, that uh, with respect to budgeting is knowing where your money's going so that you can then analyze it and determining if you determine if your money's going the right places. Am I spending too much in this area? Am I spending too much in that area? Am I not spending enough in a certain area? Um, one, uh, uh, one method that, that Susie and I... Um, began to use uh, very early in our uh, in our marriage and and we we still uh, use it today um, a lot of people call in, in kind of a very simplistic form the envelope method is, it, is everybody is anybody familiar with the envelope method yeah, yeah. so you've you've uh, you've categorized your various spending categories and you allocate how much of your income is going to go into each one of those categories. And you manage your spending in each one of those categories according to how much you can allocate there. 
with the goal being that there's something left over at the end. Yeah, Ken. Uh, you know, that's a category that we don't keep. <laughs> that, that miscellaneous category can grow to be the largest of all the other categories, with the exception of maybe housing or something. But that's, yeah, that miscellaneous category is the one that's, uh, that's extraordinarily difficult. So, so if you um, if you look at your at your spending and you categorize in various you categorize it in various ways, you can identify trends. You can identify places where you're you may be over may be overspending areas where uh, you may need some additional, and uh, your leftover your leftover funds. What's left over after you've met those needs in those various categories? are what you have available for the other two things that you do with your money, saving and giving it away. Um, your, um, uh, you can also, you know, once you're at that point, you can also allocate or budget your, your, that leftover pot, the right. You can you can roll you can keep it you can you know save it you can uh, determine how much of it you're going to allocate to uh, to a savings plan you can determine how much you're going to allocate to uh, to have available for giving and that's where God may uh, may work with you in how much you're uh, you're allocating into those two buckets. Um, what uh, what happens when we spend more than we take in? That. Yeah, exactly. This is called deficit spending, and uh, if done on a current basis, results in debt. And despite what we see from the federal government, <laughs> this model is not sustainable. Defi <laughs> deficit spending is not a sustainable model. In fact, I would say that we just haven't seen it yet. Was our well, it hasn't caught up with us yet. Yeah. Oh, it's catching up big time in Europe. Yeah, we've, well, I mean, it's it's beginning to catch up with us. Um, you know, I operate in the financial industry. The the uh, last uh, August, when the major rating agencies downgraded the debt of the U.S. government, was a huge, huge impact to the uh, you know to the business that that uh, that we operate in. Why did they downgrade the 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 uh, rating of the, of the U.S. government debt? Because they can see that the model, the spending model that we have, is not a sustainable model. Yeah, Ken. Well, by foreign governments, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a uh, there's a, a a very significant portion. I don't know the exact percentage of this, but a very significant portion of the debt that the U.S. Treasury issues to finance government operations is purchased by foreign governments, and China being one of the biggest purchasers of our, uh, of our, for of our uh, U.S. debt. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, moving into that, uh, that category of debt, there's, uh, uh, I, I put debt into two main categories. There's debt that is consumption-based, and there's debt that's asset-based. Consumption-based debt would be uh, borrowing for, uh, right, it's, it's consumed. You, uh, uh, you're, you're borrowing to go on a vacation. You're borrowing to, quote, make ends meet. Your, uh, your credit card balances are rising and rising and rising. Um, these are, this is examples of debt that is uh, consumption-based. Um, asset-based debt would be debt that uh, obviously is backed by an asset, so a, a, a debt to buy a car, debt to buy a house, something of that nature is debt that's incurred in order to acquire uh, an asset, something that's not consumed. Uh, 
Yeah, although you know, even even with that, uh, as we've seen in the housing market over the last you know four or five years, what we think might be an, an appreciating asset can turn out to be otherwise. So yeah, I wouldn't necessarily try to div subdivide those be uh, j just for that reason. There's no guarantee that uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I would I would typically put that more in the consumer. Yeah, I would I would put that more in a con, in a uh, uh, consumption based uh, debt category. Although you know the, you're using it to build a skill that's going to earn an income, um, it you know it is consumed at the point of time that the debt's incurred. That's the method behind mm -hmm. that. Right. Yeah. Oh, somebody younger than myself. I've been renting for years. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's um, <laughs> that. Yeah. That that's the asset-based debt, right? Debt that we incur to, to buy to buy a house. So let's let's kind of get this out on the table uh, from from the get-go. Is going into debt a sin? No. 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 Yes. Did you say sin? A sin. No. No? Yes? Yeses? No. No. <laughs> I would say it depends on, on the, the nature of the debt. I mean, if you're going into debt to, to, to buy to drugs. Who knows? Maybe you're going to turn around and sell those drugs for profit. <laughs> I, um, I was hard-pressed to find any scriptural uh, indication that debt in and of itself is a sin. There are, there are certainly uh, scriptural principles that teach us that debt is unwise and that debt should be avoided to the maximum extent possible. Um, you, um, uh, you know, you're all familiar with the uh, uh, the verse in Psalms that says, "The wicked borrow, and but don't repay." Right. But the righteous is generous and gives. So the wicked borrows but doesn't pay back is simply a, a a statement of a characteristic. It's not the psalmist isn't trying to tell us that it's a sin to borrow, but it's a sin to borrow and not pay back. Just. And now here's how we deal with it. Yeah. Right. Um, Joshua. It seems like debt and assets should go along with do I need it? Can I afford it? Um, if you leave those out, then you'll probably get into a debt. Even if you can say, well, it's assets, so therefore, you know, people say it's not a sin, it's good. Oh, you but, pay the right, back. you can't so you get into people. something that you're saying, well, I don't really need it, or I'm getting more than I need. I'm already getting little loan, might as well get a bigger loan because, you know, I mean, and then you get stuck with, well, can I actually afford it? Well, that, that's exactly what got us into the housing crisis that we're in right now, where, you know, where, where bankers were encouraging people to buy houses bigger, to get loans bigger than they could really afford. And, and it's what's... What does it mean affording it? Which, it well, it goes back to the budgeting. You were looking at the percentages earlier, and I can't remember the exact number. I believe I was told by uh, the CFO of Christian organizations based in Israel 
that the Israeli banking system usually gives only mortgages at about 75 to 80 percent of the home value, which is, uh, in other words, saying that they understand you should not take out more than you are realistically going to be able to repay. In, in the housing situation here, we had situations where people are actually getting like what more than 100 percent of a home's value, which is just insane. So again, um, a lot of wisdom goes into that, and I think we can see an example here that you know God's people don't say that debt is bad by itself, but they do recognize that you should be very careful and wise. I'm not saying this exact percentage is, that's godly per se, but I'm just giving an example. Um, well, it's a, it's a good principle. Yeah. So if you can if you can manage, you know, something along the lines of twenty, you know, twenty twenty five percent of the debt you're about to incur, if you have that much in savings that you can put up front as a down payment. That's a really good start, and that gives you some principle to hold on to, um, and reduces the amount of time you're going to be in debt. Because there's with mortgages. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. If I could add, given that that's your only asset. Because a lot of people say, well, yeah, look at this is only going to take 25%. But do you have other debt? Because once you add those, the, all the debt up, it shouldn't go beyond you know, X amount of healthy percentage. Because if not, then you're in uh, deep trouble. Right. Yeah. The the, uh, uh, the mortgage bankers, you know, will quote you. Uh, you know, you should be able to afford, you know, thirty percent of your your uh, income on housing or something of that nature. You know, in my view, those are you know those are foolish percentages to put out there. Um, you know, someone who's who is at a, a very high income level, thirty percent of their income is going to be an enormous housing payment. Somebody who's at a, a very low income level, thirty percent. Is going to make up, you know, not enough to be able to afford, you know, uh, uh, appropriate housing. So, um, I, again, I think it, goes, it all goes back to starting with the principle of budgeting and looking to see how much income that you have, and how much of an in, uh, how much of your income you have available to be able to dedicate. Joshua. When we were talking about how all the foreign policy is being we had to use. Mm -hmm. How do we use God's point of view and the money that God has given us to be stewards of it and our stewards of our wisdom at the same time to evade all this foreign policy that could <coughs> erupt a bunch of people to make people that would turn people to people who are not wise with their money and just spend all their money on silly stuff. Well, unfortunately, our government doesn't operate on sound biblical principles, Joshua, and that's why that's why our government has to borrow so much money and have so much foreign investment to help us be able to make payments that we need to be able to make and puts us in the situation that we're in right now. Well, it's, one, we should not be doing this. This is not the correct way to be handled in the country. And the money that God has given the government. You know what, Joshua? It's a, a room full of people. It's, <laughs> it's a, the government is a reflection of the people. So, you're in good company tonight. We're seeing some assistance from the government. Everybody agrees the government spends too much money. Everybody agrees the government should cut spending. Just don't cut my my. <laughs> Right, right. Cut everybody else's. <laughs> so right. It's a reflection of the society as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see that the government is looking for assistance, and so the people, they say, well, I should be entitled to assistance. Right. It's the enti yeah, entitlement. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, what? How do we use God's wisdom to get the government off of this? Well, we, we try to elect people, Joshua, who have godly character and want to apply godly principles even in the government. But we didn't. We're not here for a political debate. Okay. You need to move on. Son. Okay. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the principle of uh, you know, going into debt not being a sin, but keeping in mind that going into debt is... Uh, uh, in in many cases, uh, unwise. 
the uh, uh, in Proverbs, uh, and I think everyone's familiar with the Proverbs that says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Right. Again, it's a it's a, a statement of a principle. It's not an indication that debt is uh, is a sin. But when you go into debt, you've got to realize that you're now putting yourself in a position where you're going to be servant to whomever your lender is, whether that's a, a financial uh, institution, another person, a family member. Um, someone is able to dictate terms to expect to be repaid first out of your income. So you're, grant, you're willingly granting someone else that authority over your financial situation. Um, uh, do you remember the, um, uh, the, the story in, uh, in 2 Kings uh, where Elisha was approached by uh, a widow? And uh, the, the, uh, the situation was that uh, she was in desperate financial situation. In fact, her creditors were coming to take her sons and turn them into slaves. Exactly. And um, uh, Alicia, having compassion on this woman, uh, gave her the instruction, go get a bunch of jars because you're going to need them. And she started to pour the oil. And what happened? It kept coming. It just kept coming. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly. Another miracle with oil. She ended up with all these jars of oil. What did Alicia tell her to do? <laughs> Only if she was in Italy. Sell the oil. And do what? First thing, not sell the oil and provide for your family's needs. Sell the oil and pay the debt. That's exactly right. The first thing that he told her to do was pay your debts, and then you and your sons can live on the rest. So I, I, I really want to want to, uh, to to emphasize that uh, that debt in and of itself is not a sin. Going into excessive debt uh, is going to put your is going to put a, a huge strain on your financial situation. Um, I would also encourage you if you uh, if you're in a situation where you have debt to pay it off as quickly as you possibly can. Uh, Alec. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I uh, I take the opposite side of that uh, of that argument. Uh, I I want to have the maximum flexibility with my finances, and that doesn't include having to take a first cut and hand it to somebody else. I have for my largest payment. There's uh, there's also an argument that. Uh, um, well, you get a tax write-off, you know, with your mortgage interest credit. Okay, well, you know, help me understand how spending money to save, will save money. Is, yeah, that's just that argument doesn't uh, that argument doesn't add up. Yeah. The, um, the fact that you're not paying principal on every mortgage payment, you're paying interest, interest and principal. So the longer you take to pay your mortgage payment the more money is really flushed down the toilet because it's not going to anything except for the privilege of being able to have the debt. Right. Yeah, that's a very, very, very good point because when you get to the end of your loan term and you add up how much money that you've paid in loan payments over the term of, your, uh, uh, of the debt... You the houses. Right. Right. Exactly. So I would, um, from my own uh, personal uh, counsel would always be to, uh, to avoid debt to the maximum extent possible. To the extent you have debt, pay it off as quickly as you can. Uh, How about uh, in regards to, for the younger uh, ones to starting out, in regards to uh, ownership versus, versus a rent or a lease, you know, and, and, uh, which is considerable debt. I mean, it's, you know, you're using it to live, right? I mean, you're using it for a dwelling. Uh, but the fact is you're not... Uh, well, 
Yeah, you, you don't have you don't have the uh, uh, the, the mortgage uh, hanging around your neck, but you're, to, you know, to your point, you also don't have uh, an asset that you're you're building every every month. You're consuming that rent payment, and and it's just gone. Uh, renting's not a bad thing, you know. Certainly, you know, for for some who can't get to the point of being able to uh, uh, to make a uh, a mortgage payment, uh, renting's the only option. And you know, God has us in that situation for as long as He has us for certain reasons. We um, uh, we lived in an apartment for uh, almost four and a half years, um, specifically in order to be able to uh, to save up enough of a, a down payment uh, to buy a house and have a mortgage associated with us that was as small as possible. Um, we then. Uh, uh, Took a thirty-year a thirty-year mortgage amortization, and set our own amortization schedule up to pay it off in much faster time. So, uh, while in in, in our in the in the culture and the environment that we live, it's uh, you know in, unless you are of extraordinarily financial means, uh, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to buy a house without incurring debt for it, right? You've just got to make sure that you don't overextend yourself when you go into debt, you know, to make the, you know, to buy that house, um, and then that you try to extinguish it just as quickly as possible. Because as long as you have it, then that's going to be eating up a portion of your income that could otherwise go to meet the needs of others or to meet the needs of your your family in the future. I was going to start off that answer by using borrowing something from a friend of mine. What I think about it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah, a, a couple of thoughts. Um, first of all, would be to, to balance the amount that you're putting into your know, retirement savings to account for the fact that you may need it today or for you know, uh, you know in the near future. Secondly, it's it is it's a good financial practice to leverage uh, your retirement savings to the extent that the law allows you to leverage it in that manner. Because essentially, who are you borrowing it from? Yourself, yeah, you're you're making a loan to yourself essentially. So uh, to the to the extent that you can leverage assets that you've accumulated uh, and transfer it to a different asset, essentially, then yeah, I wouldn't see anything. Uh, I wouldn't have any issue with anything like that. Yeah, I think the I think the point though is that the well, you, you've got a you've got a lower amount of the mortgage that you're that you're paying in that situation, right. plus the amount yeah the the increment that you would otherwise have been paying to the mortgage, you're paying back to yourself. So the idea is that yeah. it's sizably lower, right? significantly lower mortgage payment. 
cash mm -hmm. money pay is whatever your, your penalties mm -hmm. rolling out of the 401k are. Obviously, if your penalties exceed, like, for example, if you're paying a certain amount of rent, because the idea of buying a home now is to save money, you're paying in rent that you're losing. If the penalty is large enough that the amount of time it saves you from what your current savings rate is, then it's going to be, you know, more or whatever, then, you know, again, it's just a matter of budging it out and saying, okay, what ultimately is the most financially wise move? Right. Because oftentimes we think only in one-to-one -one categories. The reality is to take money out of this place. If it causes another expense we didn't count on, how does that balance in the end? Because there's a lot of factors going into that. Yeah, that's the whole counting the cost yeah. scenario. Mm -hmm. It sounds like mm -hmm. you might need to have you back several other nights strictly for personal finances. <laughs> 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 the, uh, the, the next area that... Uh, that I wanted to move into. And Joseph, how long do we... Uh... Uh, you've got about another 10, maybe Okay. Um, the next area to move into away from, uh, from spending is the area of saving. Um, I firmly believe that uh, you know, God allows us to save to be able to uh, take care of, uh, of our needs uh, that we don't even know about, the needs of our family that, uh, that, that are going to uh, arise in the future. Um, saving is using current resources to provide for our future needs and the needs of those who depend on us. Uh, saving is using current resources to provide for our future needs and the needs of those who depend on us. Um, there's a, uh, one of the Proverbs says that precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling. But a foolish man devours it. The wise man had these resources and treasured them, put them away, while the foolish man simply devoured uh, everything that he was given. Uh, maintaining a proper balance between current spending and long-term saving uh, takes a tremendous amount of wisdom. <laughs> I, th I think it comes from, uh, well, it, it certainly experiences one way to acquire that wisdom, but as you mentioned just a minute ago, um, wise men who are, who are around you, that you go and look, and uh, I, need some, I need some advice here. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. Men like your father-in-law will have a tremendous amount of wisdom in this area. Exactly right. The um, setting savings goals is part is part of the budgeting process. Um, looking down, looking down the road, and seeing what kind of expenses you need to be uh, you need to be saving for children's vocational training, post employment, living expenses. What happens when you're not employed anymore? Where do those where does your living where do your living expenses come from? Um, large goals like a house purchase. Um, you know, things of that nature, the, the financial goals that you have that you can foresee and setting up a, a savings plan to be able to meet and achieve those goals. Joshua. I was going to kind of uh, maybe add a little bit of, to what was just brought up, that with your saving, as you define it, this is almost correct, <laughs> current resources to provide for our future needs and those who depend on us, uh, that the same thing we should be looking far ahead uh, with what we were talking about uh, right before, which is debt. 
many people that say, well, I, you know, this is what I need, this is what I can afford, but we don't consider the changes of if you're single getting married, or if you're recently married, having a child. Um, different health things changing. Um, if two people were working at the time of making decisions, now only one is, or none. And so I think it's really important that just as savings is to look ahead, oftentimes with spending, we are very short-sighted. We only look at what are my immediate needs, mm -hmm. rather than up way ahead, if things were to change, is it still a wise decision? So right. And, and things will change, right? Things will change. We know that. Um, uh, one more point you know, on debt that you mentioned. Debt presupposes on the future. Right? If you're, if you're entering into a contract to pay a certain amount of money to a lender over a certain number of years, you're presupposing that you're going to have an income level that is, and an expense level that's going to allow you to make those payments. Who are we to say? Um, I would just quickly point out that um, while acting in wisdom, we should not necessarily fret about all of the possibilities that are out there in the sense that we want to be wise, but I think there's a point where you're stressing can actually nullify it. Like, for example, maybe buying a house is a significant debt, but it's actually a wiser move than trying to live on rentals longer because you don't have that debt. Because um, sometimes you can get so caught up in all of the possibilities, but the reality is there are more possibilities you can begin to nightmare about. Oh, right. So in that sense, there's a certain degree of trusting in God and doing what's wise as best as you can see. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and if that's happening, that's where you need to involve counsel of other godly men. Because there is no reason to get in a, in a situation where you're worrying or fretting from a financial standpoint. There's decisions that are looming over you that are causing you to worry or fret and start not to trust God, that's where we need to bring in the counsel of other godly men to say, here's my situation. This is starting to get the better of me. Help me make a wise decision here. Um, there's, a, uh, uh, there's a passage in Ecclesiastes that says, Divise, divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Which is uh, a common... Uh, 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 principle of diversification, right? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, this this wise counsel to diversify presupposes a savings plan, right? You don't have any reason to diversify if you're not already engaging in a savings plan. So the fact that we're taught to diversify presupposes the fact that we should be engaging in a savings plan. Nice. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, the, other, the other point I want to make in the, uh, in the savings uh, area is uh, savings should not be equated with hoarding. Saving should not be equated with hoarding. Exactly. Saving, as we define it, is, is uh, using current resources to provide for our future needs and the needs of uh, others around us. If we're saving excessively, then we're hoarding resources, and we're not allowing God to use those resources to benefit others. I, I think that's a yeah absolutely. I mean it, that's uh, w that's a common principle of anything, right? Any area that we practice in excess or practice in uh, have a lack in a certain area is going to manifest itself in various other ways, right? Yeah, so I think that's right. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Hoarding is is basically not trusting God for that uh, for that provision, for that future provision. So uh, there's a there's a fine balance there between 
how much do I save, uh, and crossing over that line into hoarding. And I would I'd suggest that uh, it's, it's more of a motivation, you know, to your point. What's my motive behind saving the amount that I'm saving? Am I trying to, to provide for these needs that I've identified, um, or am I just putting away every, everything that I possibly can uh, because I, I, I don't have a fundamental trust in God that he's going to provide for me down the road? The, uh, the last area, I don't want to hold you too, uh, too much longer, is uh, we've talked about spending and saving and the last area is, uh, is giving, the third thing that we can do with the resources that God's given to us. Uh, we're made in God's image. God's compassionate and generous, and we should be compassionate and generous uh, as well. We should reflect God's character uh, to others. Giving is a response to God's goodness and, and provision in our lives. God's prospered us, and we use those resources with which he's prospered us to be able to bless others. Giving allows us to be able to focus on God as our security and our source. Back to that principle of ownership. And it comes as a result of trusting in God. Uh, giving, uh, as you uh, starts that whole cycle of blessing, right? You use your resources to bless others. And the act of blessing others results in a blessing to you. You're blessed when you see their, re- their reaction, their response, the fact that, that they have had a need met uh, in an in a, uh, unexpected manner. It's a cycle. Yeah. Uh huh. Exactly right. You then taking that additional blessing and blessing more. You know, it's like in the prayer for provision in the Amidah, and the one we pray this morning in Parnassah, it ends with, so that I be able to keep your commandments in your Torah. In other words, bless me with what I need so that I can obey you. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Good point. keeps us independent from the love of money. If we're willing to give it away, then we have defeated that, uh, that element that, uh, that tries to encroach upon us and, and uh, uh, keeps us independent of the love of money. Now, uh, we've recognized, as, as uh, Joe and Joshua both mentioned, that uh, giving can result in a financial blessing to us. I mean, it's, it's, it's stated in Scripture that that can be the result of your giving. But it can't be the motive, right. It can't be the motive of your giving. Um, giving with a motive of receiving is giving with a very, very wrong motive. Um, so the... I would just... Sorry. Go ahead. Oh. I would just say that um, it should never be your motive. Sometimes it can be, I think rather than you say that in your motive, I think that the issue can get affect the trust of God. Because sometimes you may give and wonder, well, I could have done something else with this, as you were mentioning earlier. Maybe this was the best thing that I looked at that I should do with this money right now. But part of trusting God is knowing that He will provide, and He will meet not only your needs, but also everything that you will need as you will really need it. So while you don't ever give as the motivation of knowing that God will give you more in return, it is nonetheless with the trust that God will take care of you. And I've watched it in my own life. I mean, I have no idea how I managed to live on what I lived in Israel and still gave to, you know, beggars left and right all around me. God did it. I have no clue how that happened. Mm-hmm. Josh? I was going to say, uh, it seems between this giving, saving, hoarding uh, that we're talking about, if any, any of us have ever had sand in our hands, uh, you're actually able to hold more sand by keeping your hands open. Uh, 
if you were to do the same with water. Um, and if you try to walk with water in your hand open, it's more likely that you end up where you're supposed to with more water in your hands, while actually that which you weren't able to hold on to is blessing the earth you're treading. Where if you try to actually hoard it and hang on to sand or water, by the time you end up to where you think you want to be and you open your hands, you're left with practically nothing at all. And mm -hmm. so I think I'm seeing that kind of image of whether sand or water, whichever one we prefer, <laughs> um, that we should save it with open hands, which would be a, you'll have more to give at the end for those who are dependent on you as well as mm -hmm. those that God allows you to bless. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the fundamental question then is how much, right? The uh, how much of our budget do we allocate toward giving? Um, you know, for those of us who who grew up in the church, um, it was really not even a question, right? Ten percent. The only question was for gross or net. <laughs> yes. <right. laughs> Yeah. <laughs> one, of the, uh, one of the concepts that I've learned in, in my Sadaka study, which I'm hoping to present soon, is that the sages have a different view of the, the net and gross thing. And it's, there is. It's, it's that, say your income is $100,000 a year, just for the sake of easy with the numbers, and you're responsible for paying taxes on that, and at 20%, you're, now you're left with 80000 You're responsible for paying taxes on 80000 not on the 20000 not on the 100000 because, or, or you're responsible for tithing on that 80000 not the not the full 100000 because the, the, the 20000 that was gone to taxes, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, is uh, it's considered to be income that that you didn't make, so it, it's not. So it's uh, there, there's some really cool stuff I'm looking forward to sharing with you guys. It's it's, it's pretty incredible, and we're also it, it's great to be able to get to the point where we can give, you know. And obviously, the the ten percent, um, you know, there's a great book called Neither Poverty Nor Riches, and he, there's a lot of statistics that talk about what the community of believers, mostly churchgoers around the country, are actually tithing. And, you know, and you know, the numbers are staggeringly low. You know, it's a good, you know, two and three percent in, in most most cases, um, at best. And there are major world issues that could be overcome if believers were really stepping to the plate like we want to, you know, say we want to do and everything, but just kind of say, oh well, I'd rather have that boat, or gee, that new set of golf clubs looks really great, you know, and and these you know, relatively meaningless expenditures. Do you want to get a boat, or do you want to really truly end world hunger? You know, it's it. it, it it sounds dramatic to put it that way, but it, it's true. If, if, you know, it it can happen, and and it's. Uh, but we also, you know, the sages also guard, you know, say guard against giving too much, lest you become impoverished mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what's the answer? How much? What's the right percentage? Is there a right so percentage?
I don't think I've experienced a more significant monetary jewel than to budget giving as a category rather than as a leftover. To budget as a, as a category and to have the privilege and the joy of filling my pocket knowing that before the day is out, I get to give it all away. Exactly. Mm -hmm. that, that is a joy that I had prior, prior to budgeting that, never experienced. And, and it is an amazing thing to know that through God's provision, through obedience to His commands, blessing has come. And now, the opportunity to bless others has been formally placed in your hand. And, and I gotta tell you, if you haven't experienced it, it's nothing. Nothing like it. <laughs> I don't know what the number is. I don't uh, uh, I, I I'm not sure that there is a number. Uh, you know, we've certainly got examples in scripture of uh, 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 Avraham I haven't given uh, given ten percent. Uh, we've got uh, uh, we've got an example of Yaakov of giving ten percent uh, to God. Uh, you know the the concept of of the tithe, as it's explained in Scripture, uh, uh, from an offering standpoint, was a consumption. Right? It wasn't. Uh, uh, the, 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 the annual tithe was a consumption uh, based on the, uh, uh, the produce that God had provided for you. And so you were consuming 10% and then living off 90, which again was reinforcing God as the provider in both areas. God provided you with this, uh, with this produce. And as a reminder, you're going to consume 10% of it and then... God's going to use the rest of the 90. He's going to provide for your needs out of the, out of the remainder. Uh, there's uh, uh, the, uh, the every third year tithe that went to, uh, to support uh, Levites, uh, orphans, widows, etc. Um, but I think it, it, uh, you know, there's not an, an explicit uh, commandment in, uh, that applies to us in our society today. Uh, as a, a given percentage that we're required to meet. We've got good examples from Scripture. Um, but I think it goes back to that uh, the budgeting process of looking at your, your expenses, your savings, and how much God has prospered you and allows you to be able to contribute. Could be, uh, depending on what stage of life you're in, uh, could be in excess of 10%, could be, uh, could be somewhat less than that. Springs out of mm -hmm. peace and all of those things that uh, you know. No, no financial. Uh, there's no uh, amount of money that can purchase that. You either have it or you don't. Mm -hmm. Those things are mm -hmm. things. Exactly. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, it comes from God. So yeah. just that, that that attitude that we can't outgive God. Uh, but then, by the same token, you know, that that tension we can't give what we don't have either. So. Exactly. We have to, so there's wisdom, you know, in all of this. Mm -hmm. No doubt. Well, man, I've I've kept you here uh, uh, 
probably past what you're uh, what you're normally used to, but I've got three things I want to do before uh, before we close. Um, uh, and this first one we've talked about uh, tonight already, and that's seeking godly counsel. Um, don't be hesitant to seek godly counsel in the area of your finances. And the first area that you should turn to for seeking that godly counsel is Scripture itself. Uh, God's given us uh, principles in His Word to be able to learn and then apply. Uh, and I believe He expects us as stewards to be able to, to do that. We're stewards of the Word that He's given to us. He's given us intellect to be able to apply that. Uh, secondly, uh, your spouse should be an important counselor for you. Uh, kind of goes back to where we started. You won't have oneness in your, in your marriage unless you're able to sit down with your spouse and have good, frank uh, conversations and to, and to ask her opinion because she'll look at things differently than you do. And, uh, and that's a good thing. God made her to, to compliment you in that manner. Uh, parents, friends, uh, also are good sources of, uh, of godly counsel. And being willing to seek that godly counsel uh, helps to defeat a prideful nature. If you're willing to share these kinds of details with, uh, with men around you who you trust, uh, then uh, that can help from uh, having pride creep in and be another element that can uh, be a, an adverse impact to your financial situation. Um, So the uh, uh, principles uh, to manage your finances by, remember ownership, God owns and provides everything. Gratefulness, being grateful for what it is God's provided to us. Contentment, being content in the situation that God has us in. Being able to provide for others, being compassionate and generosity. The, um, the last thing I wanted to, uh, to share with you was just a, a real quick personal story, and this isn't a uh, oops, isn't a, a uh, earth-shattering or, or mind-blowing uh, type of situation, but I, it, it I think goes to demonstrate God's faithfulness. Um, I uh, I attended the University of Tulsa, and uh, uh, and I'm a, a big Golden Hurricane sports fan, and uh, last year. Last basketball season, uh, Tulsa came to uh, to Charlotte to play the UNC 49ers, and it's not often that I get to take in a, a Tulsa basketball game, and uh, uh, we saw it on the schedule, and we we planned for it. It was a uh, a Saturday night uh, start, you know, 7:30 uh, type game time. So I talked to Susie about it. You know, it's after the Sabbath is over, you know, we can work this in. It'll be great. We'll take all the kids. We'll have a we'll have a fun time. They'll be their first college basketball game. This is really going to be cool. So uh, as soon as the tickets went on sale, I uh, called the UNC Charlotte ticket office, bought six tickets, uh, and uh, and we had it marked down on our calendar that uh, that we were going to go to the basketball game. It was going to be a lot of fun. Um, Basketball tickets to UNC 49ers game are not inexpensive, but uh, I wanted uh, the whole family to participate in it, to have a, a nice, fun family outing. Um, about uh, a, a week ahead of time, the, uh, uh, the timing of the game was such that it was still during uh, football season, the, the football playoff season. And the Panthers were successful, uh, as you can tell this was several years ago, uh, that year, <laughs> and ended up having a uh, playoff game in Charlotte on the same day of the, uh, the, the basketball game. Um, so there was a conflict. It was a night football game downtown, and the, the basketball game was a night game. So they had a, a conflict between the 49ers playing and, and the Carolina Panthers playing downtown. So uh, UNC Charlotte made the decision to move the game time uh, to 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 
well, you know, that was a, a non-starter on, on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. So, you know, that was just, it was just a non-starter for us. We wouldn't be able to go um, pay for parking, you know, buy popcorn, you know, hot dogs, you know, everything like that. Yeah, the whole, it was just, it was just um, uh, a non-starter for us. So I, um, I wrote a letter to, the, to uh, the UNC Charlotte Athletic Department and uh, sent my tickets back in. Right on the back of the, of the tickets, by the way, in big, bold letters, was no refunds. Um, so I just wrote them a letter and said, you know what? Um, I had really, 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 really wanted to come to this game. And here's why. Um, but uh, because of the, uh, uh, the principles that my family practices, um, we're not able to come because you've changed the game time uh, to the middle of, of the Sabbath. And I'm returning the tickets to you um, in hopes that you can sell them to somebody else who will you know, enjoy the game. So you didn't ask for your money back? I did not ask for my money back. Um, I don't know, four or five days later after the, after the game, uh, which Tulsa won, by the way, uh, uh, I got a letter from the UNC Athletic Department uh, indicating that they were sending a credit back to my credit card for the cost of the tickets. Uh, they were disappointed that uh, the circumstances had worked out like they had, that we were unable to come to the game, and, uh, and they you know, refunded me the entire cost of, uh, of the tickets. Um, and I think it's just a demonstration of you know, one of the ways that God's faithful to us. If we're faithful to uh, apply the, the principles that he teaches us in Scripture and, and be obedient to his commandments, that, uh, that he returns that to us. I uh, certainly didn't have an, any expectation you know, that, this would, you know, that this would happen. But uh, uh, our obedience can result in, uh, in tremendous benefit uh, in all kinds of ways, including an unexpected financial benefit back, uh, back to us. So... Therein lies the big difference between my friend, Mr. Martin, and myself. I'd be telling them, you reneged it, moved the thing, and I want my money back. But that's not how it is. Please, Matthew Scott, thank you for your time, and I am grateful for your testimony. Would you like to have Scott come back next week if he can, and just kind of be available for Q&A on this whole deal so we can talk about stuff like your... You know, 401k. Amen. A couple of amens. He's ready to jump into it. Um, before uh, Scott closes us uh, with a short prayer, I did want to uh, share with you that uh, Mr. Romney has uh, won 47% of the vote in Florida. Mr. Gingrich has run 32%. So Mr. Romney will get 50 delegates. Um, but as uh, Rick Spurlock said this evening, uh, he caused him to spend like $70 million to get those 50 delegates, <laughs> and we have 48 more states to go. Uh, not that I'm pushing for Mr. Gingrich necessarily over Mr. Romney, but there's a, there's a hope and a prayer. <laughs> um, and I also want to thank you that... Uh, Mr. Benjamin Netanyahu has also won his uh, his bid to keep his uh, was he prime minister? It's a, he was running in the um, party primaries, so his party currently leads the government, and as the head of his party, he is therefore prime minister. So um, the primary election today was in effect his ability to cement his position within his own party, sort of like what Romney and are doing right now. The significance of this is the more political security he has, in effect, the more confidence he will have to do whatever he feels is best. I mean, and he did, in fact, May it be your will, I deny our God, that a mishap not come about through us. And may we not stumble in a matter of law and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. And may we not say something which is 
this print is way too small. Tom A, <laughs> that it is Tahor. And not regarding something which is Tahor, that is Tame. And may our colleagues not stumble in a matter of law, and we rejoice over them. For Adonai grants wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil our eyes that we may perceive wonders from your Torah.